About ready? I think so. I'm just real tired. So I'm scared I won't have enough energy. Uh-huh. We'll see when we start talking I'll about I'll get heated. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have enough. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we are discussing chapter 23 of Assassin's Quest, The Mountains. The epigraph for this chapter is discussing the mountain kingdom and its origins, things that we have already talked about before, how it was, you know, originally nomadic tribes and stuff, and they all answered to the first judge who we figured out was either a catalyst or a white prophet. Himself, herself, as it's referred to, a woman of great wisdom who resided at Jampe. They are the first sacrifice, and deeds that she has done are still sung about. However, as old as all of that history is, there is an either even further back history of another kingdom that was ruling in that area. Not exactly where Jampe was or anything, but right. Another capital city, another civilization before that. And from all the details in here, we can surmise or assume that it's about Kelsingra. Right. It's beyond the mountains. <laughs> the icy shores that border the White Sea. Few trade routes still meander through there. And to the south of the mountains are the unsettled forest of the Rain Wilds. There are legends of another land, one locked and lost in the peaks beyond the mountain kingdom. And as you travel further on, there are more and more stories about that area during, um, from there. Dragons and giants, ancient tumble-down cities, savage unicorns, treasure hordes and secret maps, dusty streets paved with gold, valleys of eternal spring where the water rises steaming from the ground, dangerous sorcerers spell-locked in caves of gems, and ancient sleeping evils embedded in the earth. All are said to reside in the ancient, nameless land beyond the boundaries of the Mountain Kingdom. I have figured out a way to account for all but one of the things listed. No, I take that back, too. Let's let's hear it all. Okay. Go through the list. So, dragons. Obviously, dragons were there. But I think that could also be about the stone dragons that are carved. Yep. Um, We have giants, which... If these are old legends, we know that elderlings are typically taller than regular people. That's what I was kind of thinking, too. Yeah, they're half dragons, so but, they're just... you know, if there are dragons in that area, other folklore can spring up around it. It doesn't true. have to be elderlings, but that is one source. Yes, yes that so I was, I was thinking. thinking maybe that. Um, I have no idea for the savage unicorn. So there are ancient tumble-down cities. Oh, yes. Pretty obvious as well, because Kelsingra is a big ruin, and I'm sure there's the the ruin of the town along the river as well. Right. That's next to Kelsingra. And to say that maybe this isn't the memory of Elderling, it could still be the skill memory, in quotes, because people wouldn't still be able to see the Elderlings in person while they're spreading the rumors about a tumbled down castle, so 
Right. Maybe it's just the whispers of these giant people. <laughs> the savage unicorns, I'm not sure either, but I don't think this is the first time unicorns have been mentioned. It could be, but I thought that there was another mention of them, maybe in the first book when Fitz was describing the, you know, there are myths and then there are like things yes. found it. Mm-hmm. Like there's different types of folklore kind of thing. Right. And I know he included dragons and like pixies and stuff all in one kind of category. Mm-hmm. And I think unicorns was in that, but I didn't know what chapter to look in for that. The only thing for unicorns that I can think of is one of the dragons that are carved might look like a unicorn. Oh, true, true. And like maybe it was awake when they saw it. So yeah. savage. I don't know. Let's see. Next is the treasure hordes and secret maps. It's a rundown city that was left pretty abruptly, and there are lots of treasures, and there's a map tower still intact. So I think that's it's out. a secret map, but that's also a very typical trope in you right, know in lost civilization yeah. myths. The secret maps. Dusty streets paved with gold. Now I was thinking about the the city memories for this one in mm-hmm. particular, because walking down Kelsingra. It is run down. It is old. It is dusty. It is completely broken. And yet all of the memories show it as it was in the height of its power. Yeah, I agree. Um, Valleys of eternal spring where the water rises steaming from the ground. I think it's just geological. (laughs) No, this is the dragon pools. If you remember in the last Rainwild series, um, when they get to Kelsingra, the dragons turn on the pools that are heated. I, I guess I don't know if they rose up. I didn't check. But there are heated pools that are for the dragons in the and city. humans in the city. Yeah. Yes, I know that. But I'm pretty sure also this is just volcanic activity and there could be valleys of eternal spring. I suppose. With just geological hot springs. Because that also exists in... In the Out Islands, mm. that's the the land that they go to the, of the narwhal. That's how they have fertile farmland right. there. But do natural hot springs like get fuller and like lower water? There's a there's a lot water? of. I don't know if this planet is made out of tectonic plates, but I'm just gonna assume and say there's a <laughs> lot of tectonic activity <laughs> below those mountain ranges. Where shakes occur and things happen and the river floods, you know, every single shake. So who knows? You know, things could be. That's true. Going around. So there's a couple <laughs> other sources that that could be from as well. Because I don't think the pools that you're talking about specifically have been in use when the Rainwild Chronicles come around ever since the end of that civilization. So that they know of that they know of. Yeah. But. That's what it seems like from the descriptions in the books that they there's like no, you know, water or whatever there. So, right. They have to turn it on. So it fills with water. Yeah. But like you could accidentally turn that on and it could like drain. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a possibility. That's what I thought of. There's also the dangerous sorcerers spell locked in caves of gems, which Personally, I think is reference to all the skill coteries that were traveling and um, the caves of gems is act- actually the skill stone. Yeah, I can see that. 
I can also possibly think of those as the ancient elderling cities dotting the rain river, the rain wild mm. river because of all of the, you know, the, the gems that are so valuable that come from oh, the rain. Wild. The like the, like the, the inner ones color ones. Yeah. In the dark or whatever. And th- they find all of those artifacts in those ancient cities. And there's always whispers in your heads and oh. things are very technologically advanced with, you know, their magic that they had. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thought. Yes. And then the last one, ancient sleeping evils embedded in the earth. I don't know this one either. I think that might be also related to those elderlings cities, and it might be the wizard wood logs or the dragon cocoons. Hmm. Interesting. I could be wrong, but that's kind of like my thought on it. I also just have the thought of maybe the skill if you were like. That's true. An- anti embedded evils. Yeah. Like, Skill Anti-magic road is or, yeah. very, <laughs> very dangerous <laughs> to susceptible people. There's the skill pillars there that can drag you in. Yeah. There's a lot of dangers. I don't know if I would call them evils. But I would say that the people who live in the Rainwilds would. Also, ancient sleeping evils embedded in the earth could be the skill stone carved dragons. True. Embedded from the earth. They're sleeping you know, it depends evil. on depends on if you consider them evil or not, just like you were saying. I drew, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess you're right. You're right. <laughs> so there's a couple different interpretations. But if this is just folklore about that, yeah, those are probably sleeping evils to you because they're outlandish shapes and could be scary. And, True. You know, or you just see statues and make stories up about them. True. Yeah, it's definitely something that I can definitely see how the things that we know about the city have been embellished, but knowing what little we do know, maybe this stuff is real. (laughs) You never know. I also wanted to ask you a quick question before we move on from the epigraph. Why do you think that the first ruler of the mountain kingdom, the first official ruler is called a judge and not sacrifice? Because it seems like now they're more called sacrifice. And while they do preside over matters, it feels more like the culture has shifted, at least, into treating them more like. Because that's, I think, you know, this is my headcanon, but I think that's how the culture progressed. It wasn't like we proclaim this person the leader of our society or whatever. There was still nomads or traveling people around the Mountain Kingdom. And this person was sought after as specifically a judge, someone to mm-hmm. settle disputes, someone with right. wisdom. So they weren't looked to as this this person leads us. It's this person has wisdom and can settle issues. And it kind of just developed into we should have more of these. We should, you know, eventually turned into we're leading this. We're, you know, judging fairly for the good of all of our people. We are sacrificed for our people. You know, that's. I feel like that's gradual progression. Okay. And it never says anywhere in these books, I think, that Ketrickin's family is descended from this judge. True. Or anything. It just could have been, you know, we need to model our society after this. 
That's fair. I think it would be fair to assume that she's descended from the judge because it seems as though they follow the monarch. Right. Monarchal <laughs> type of leadership. I don't. But it's also very hard to. Judging by history. Right. There, there are very few unbroken lines of succession in That's a lot fair. of places for over hundreds of years, because this is older than the six duchies. That's true. That's true. So I just, you know, conjecture, but I'm guessing it's not the original bloodline, or at least very tangentially related to the original bloodline or something. British did it, so I don't know. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> They're old. <laughs> Their country, not every person from British. Br- British, oh my gosh. England? I don't know. I'm just saying, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> and so, we jump back in with Fitz feeling kind of upset because Ketrikin had basically planned and expected Fitz to refuse to search for Verity. Right. Because of all this. So she went in with those expectations, had already set in motion plans of how to go after Verity, who was coming along, what to pack, how that was being packed, where they were going, everything like that. So very rarely is Fitz consulted on any of this. And if they are, cons- if he is consulted and they disagree, Ketrikin just goes with what she thinks because Fitz does not factor into this to, according to her. Right. It is her quest to seek her husband. It's also stated that if she were acting as a queen in the six duchies, she would have had the funds to do this from the royal coffers and from aristocrat arist, aristocrats who were looking to... Good movie, though. It, it is. <laughs> aristocrats that were looking to garner favor with her or the royal family in general. But because it's a different culture she can't expect the money and that even if she were in her father's position in king iod's position she wouldn't be able to access the royal money anyway because there she's a sacrifice yeah she it says specifically in here while king iod remained alive she was no more than a younger relative of the sacrifice while it was expected that she would succeed him someday, it gave her no right to command the wealth of her people. And she would not have had access to the riches and resources of her people, even if she were sacrificed, just like you said. So right. as I had mentioned last episode, or maybe two episodes ago now, whichever episode for last chapter, <laughs> we had this discussion. She is not really considered anyone of import besides just being a younger relative and eventually you'll succeed and you'll be the sacrifice someday. But for now, you're just a member of the community. Right. So she has to pull favors and talk to people and try to scrounge up and barter her supplies. Yeah, which does make Fitz feel a little bad when he's not fighting that feeling to be angry with her. But it is also stated that her father is too busy to care that he loves her and that he is sad and hopes her well on her journey, but he has a war brewing and And it's not his concern to find the king of the six duchies. Yeah. That's six duchy business. And that's his daughter's stuff. That's her people, not his. And I find that really interesting because this is, I believe the third chapter in a row where we are giving just a small insight into 
the king's affairs. <laughs> yeah, and he, their familial bond in general. Yes, there's definitely love there, but also it seems like the king isn't really consulting his daughter on what to do. He's not really... Because I think it goes back to the the culture thing we're talking about. Right. If she is not considered part of, you know, the ruling person yet, why would he consult her? Like right. that's, yeah. <laughs> he is the sacrifice. Yeah. It's just really interesting. And I mean, also there's a factor that she did marry into a different right. royal quote unquote family because I don't know that they consider themselves royalty, but I, so I don't think it's necessarily like, he doesn't care what she thinks, but he does see her as a different ruler of a different kingdom, specifically the one he might be going to war with. So, so I'm sure there's a little bit of tension there, too, where he doesn't want to step on her toes. But there is war brewing and it is taking up a lot of King Aod's attention. Mm-hmm. And so Fitz is kind of left behind for all this planning. He does mention that he and Ketrakin spoke civilly without anger, but also without the warmth of friendship there either. It was just... Two adults talking. Yep. And so he he's arguing against a couple of these, you know, various details that Ketron has planned out. Namely, you know, beasts of burden to carry packs and supplies and things like that. Because Fitz is very, very aware of the wit bond. And if anything happens to them or if they have to leave them behind... He would feel their suffering, and th- there's just tiny deals to- details like that that Ketrakin just says, no, we're doing it this way. Yeah, this is a little bit frustrating to read because it's a lot of Fitz having reasonable worries about a trip, and Ketrakin just flat out saying, absolutely not, we're doing it my way, because we disagree. Fitz says that it's unspoken but implied that his judgment in the past had been faulty and short-sighted, and that is why she's going her own route. Which I think is entirely possible for Ketrakin to do something this petty, to be like, even though you're more experienced in this, I'm going to make all the decisions. I don't care what you say. Even according to like her point of view, I don't know if she thinks it's petty. Because of the anger that we think is unjustified, you know, kind of obvious to those <laughs> listeners out there who yes. have paid attention to last episode in this. <laughs> we think it's a little bit unjustified for all of that blame to be placed at Fitz's feet. But from her perspective, Fitz did make all of the wrong choices, did not clue her in on anything, did not immediately go to Verity, tried to kill Regal without her consent because she's the ruler, a bunch of things like that. So why should she listen to him for except for the barest advice that maybe she would agree with and then go with that. Right. That's fair. It's, I don't know. I just feel really frustrated in this situation. Oh, don't get me wrong. I am too. Yeah. I and, just, yeah. her perspective, it might not be coming from a petty place. It's just petty from our standards. <laughs> True. And to be fair, I do want to mention that we are getting this through Fitz's lens. So, I am sure he is putting more weight into things that are not being said or are being said. Like, it's unspoken that it's because I'm a failure. Well, is it unspoken that that's the reason? Or did she already make these plans and you're raising concerns? Like, I don't know. There's a possibility that it's not as serious as Fitz is making it out to be. But he's also upset. So we're and we can only go off of what he tells us. 
He also mentions that he is resenting the choice of companions that Ketrikin is bringing along. It's going to be Ketrikin, I think three of her cousins or something like that, but also resenting Starling as being brought along. Yes. And specifically the fact that Starling bought her place in this search party while still searching for her one song to sing and get famous from with the promise that she would sign and the actual signature that Fitz had Nettle to Molly in Buckheap and it was like witnessed by her. You know, that that was the price for going. So Starling is avoiding Fitz now and Fitz says that's a good thing because she probably feels like she had betrayed Fitz's trust, which she did. Right. This actually <laughs> really upset me. Yes, um, this is this is like a huge betrayal here. Yeah. I think it's gross that she is selling a child's life to gain fame. I mean, that's not quite what she's doing, but it does feel that way, at least in Fitz's viewpoint. And she obviously knows that it's bad because she does avoid Fitz. And I don't think it's because she's upset with him because he's doing what she wants and going on this trip. I just... Ugh, it's horrible. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is why people don't like Starling. And this is why I didn't like her in my memory. Like, <laughs> there's definitely reasons. And I think it's not fair to have this ruin Starling as a character for me personally, because she is pretty young here. She's a teenager. She. I don't know if she's a teenager. You don't think so? No. Isn't she the same age as Fitz? I thought she was in her young, like early 20s or something like that. I guess we don't know for sure. That's true. Doesn't really say. I assume she is close in age to Fitz and Fitz is still a teen, even if he's a late teen. <laughs> I thought in the Tawny Man trilogy, she gets pregnant at the end of it, correct? I don't know. To Lord Bright. But I don't know. If she, I don't know if it's the end of the that trilogy or if it's the beginning of the next one. So that wouldn't make sense. That would make sense. Yeah. But in when she is pregnant, despite being infertile, she's also says that she thought she was too old as well to have kids. That's fair, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because right. I mean, Fitz is yeah. like thirty five, so I always thought she would be like five years older than Fitz or something. Oh no, I think there. I guess I am not a doctor. Don't take medical advice from me. But like, I think there's a misconception that after thirty you become oh, super infertile. No, yeah, you definitely so, can have kids. It's just yes. like this is a but right. But I'm saying like primitive era. Yes, so like thirty five even you would be like, oh, I'm way too old for kids. Yeah, especially if like. People I mean, really 30. You, <laughs> right. <okay, we're... laughs> if you hadn't had kids by 30 and you're in like the medieval times, like, I don't know. <laughs> no kids, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Which is like wild to think about. But anyway, so like, I don't know. That, that's that, in my head. I always fair. thought that she was at least like five years older than Fitz. Okay. I could be wrong. I mean, I, I haven't seen any uh, specific ages about Starling in here. And Robin Hobb is notoriously so-so on stating ages <laughs> true so um, I, yeah that's what i that's was my head canon at least going into this i don't know what evidence there is to back it up but that's what i thought okay well that's fair. i have always thought of her as at least the same age as fits if not maybe younger or just barely older like molly's hmm. age 
Um, so that's where I was coming at, at it from. But either way, even if she is five years older than Fitz, that's still, I don't know, early, mid-20s. And so still pretty young, not too young, but still young enough to where ambition feels like a reasonable thing to put in front of everything else, I guess. Right. It makes sense. I think it's possible that if this would have happened down the road, maybe she would have, you know, not done this. Who knows? But also maybe it's a little bit out of jealousy because at this point she thinks she can't have kids. So it's like possibly I I don't know. That's unfair to put on her. She might not care one way or the other. This is like essentially a made up person because she's never met this child, which is how you could look at it to make yourself feel better if you wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like it. Fitz goes over the fact that Chade is not going to be in their party either. He is going to go back to the six duchies. He has things to do there. And he is also going to visit Birik, Molly and the child where Fitz is swallowing his anger and his pride, having a conversation with Chade and asks for his promise, which Chade gives to not speak of Fitz and that he is alive to any of them there. It should be mentioned that Chade offers first. Yes. Fitz doesn't have to bring it up. But Fitz says that the offer came awkwardly, for he knew full well that I hated the part he had played in claiming my daughter for the throne. Except, again, I think this is Fitz putting something there that isn't. I think Chade for sure feels bad that this is how it has to be. He's I don't think he's... probably stepping carefully around Fitz, who has... yeah. Is moody and volatile. Yes, rightly so. I think yes. it's fair that he is volatile, but like a little moody, <laughs> and you have to talk a little carefully around people that are moody, especially when you know that you're the person who made them upset. <laughs> so i I don't think that I don't think that Shade is feeling that guilty about it. Or I think he feels guilty. I just think that that's buried because what he's doing in his mind is the best thing and he's trying to offer an olive branch and he doesn't right. know if Fitz will take it or not. Right. But Fitz does not. Well, he does and does not. He asks to be kept secret, as you said, and Fitz prom or Chade promises Fitz to keep him a secret from everybody. And Fitz says that the reasoning is that at the time it seemed like the wisest course. I felt that I only I could fully explain to Molly why I had acted as I had. And she had already mourned me as dead once. If I did not survive this quest, she would not grieve any more than she had. And it makes me frustrated. <laughs> Again, uh, I'm, I'm very frustrated this chapter. But I hate that once again, Fitz is deciding for everybody else what's best and not giving them a chance to know I think Patience, Molly, and Burek would all love to know that he is alive. Even if Molly can't get over that he had lied, I think that she would still like knowing he's around, like he's somewhere, and that maybe he's coming back to their child at some point. And I guess it's fair to say, well, I might die on this trip. I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. But also, I think it's better. I think it's better to... Give them the hope to be shattered again, because at least they can feel hopeful for a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I just I hate that he wants to keep this a secret. I don't think it's a good enough justification. 
Just think of what would change if Chade did tell Molly. She and Birik wouldn't get together, as they do at the end of this book. Right. Because she would still probably be waiting for news. Even, uh, even if she didn't forgive him ever, those right. feelings would not have quickened as fast as they do because she would be conflicted with Fitz still alive. I, and knowing about their, like, their daughter together. That's fair. I guess she probably would have more of a hang up because she doesn't know that he knew when, like, the moment his daughter was born. She doesn't know he was there, you know? Like, and she, he didn't know when she left that she was pregnant. So I guess I could see a little bit of the hesitation coming from, like, well, I didn't give him a chance to be a dad. But I also feel like him finding out that he has a daughter and still going after Verity would be a final straw because the whole reason she left is that he always puts the crown over her and now he's doing that to his daughter. <laughs> and I'm not saying that she would never forgive him, but I don't think it's like off the table that she would still get together with Burek. But no, I, I'm not saying that either. I'm just yeah. saying that the timeline, like it Might wouldn't happen right there. That's fair. I don't know. I... I would have loved for her to at least get the chance to decide what to do, <laughs> right. but she doesn't. So It's time for Chade to head out. So the night before he leaves, he comes and talks with Fitz a little bit. We learn that our beloved little ferret Slink has passed away and how, uh, you know, just small talk. Basically, Fitz wants Chade to bring back Sody and Ruddy for Birk to take care of. And Chade's like, nah, I can't. I'd just be a target for bandits. Right. There's three horses to look after then. Right. Exactly. And Fitz can. Fitz remarks and looks upon Chade here and says, this action really does suit him. He's kind of reveling and, and holding his age differently now. And he's feeling much more alive than he has in the past. The fool was right, he thought bitterly. War and intrigue did agree with him. I looked at him, in his tall boots and swirling cloak, at the rampant buck he wore so openly on his brow above his green eyes, and tried to equate him with the gentle-handed old man who had schooled me in how to kill people. His years were there still, but he carried them differently. Privately, I wondered what drugs he used to prolong his energy. That, a little bit unfair. Yeah, that last line made me roll my eyes, because I'm like, okay, Fitz, Actually, not everybody is relying on drugs <laughs> just because that's what you use to give you energy. does not mean that that's what Chade is doing. He's probably sleeping really well and has exercise in his life and is outside. Which I is think he does have like an herbal tea every morning, though. <laughs> I you think Fitz what? remarked on that earlier that's, in the books, too. <laughs> that's fair. But I don't think I don't think like heavy drug or no, not even yeah, heavy, yeah. just like drug it's use like is a thing that changed and, him. You know? Yeah, yeah. He has a, like a couple coffees a day, and I don't think that's enough to make this change. I think it is. It's not that war, I think, agrees with him. It's not being hidden. Because... I think it's also the challenge. That's fair. You know, he has, you know, tried to pull strings for so long, but he is actually reveling in the fact that he's dodging these, you know, the soldiers and getting away from them. He has, like, a grin that Fitz remarks on when Chade was talking about his, like, his horse that could, you know, run away from everyone. Yeah, it's very you know, it's, swift. <laughs> I feel like he just loves the challenge of it 
deep down. Of course, it's dire circumstances, but right. it's not just being outside, I don't think. I think it's like <laughs> right. the actual... Well, I mean, you know, what the, comes with... The adrenaline. Yeah, that's fair. But also, this version of Chade reminds me a lot of Regal, if Regal wasn't the worst. <laughs> just like somebody who gets enjoyment in playing the game. And I feel like, man, what could have happened if Regal's mom wasn't around, you know? For like the 20th time. <laughs> right. Like, let's imagine a, a book where everything's nice. <laughs> Completely then changed everything. it's not everything. this book. That's true. That's true. Fitz has a nice moment of introspection while talking to Chade and saying goodbye to him here. He's still frustrating to read this inner monologue from, but... It is a nice moment to kind of reflect on as readers and see where F- uh, Fitz is at in his mindset. He says, I wanted to reach out to him and know that there was still a bond of some kind between us, but I could not. I could not understand myself. How could his opinion still matter so much to me when I knew he was willing to take my child and my happiness for the sake of the Farseer throne? I felt it as a weakness in myself that I could not find the strength of will to hate him. I reached for that hatred and came up with only a boyish sulkiness that kept me from clasping his hand at his departure or wishing him well. He ignored my surliness, which made me even feel even more childish. Fitz uh, is thinking on his relationship with Chade here, and when Chade leaves, the fool gives him a saddlebag that Chade had left for Fitz. And included in there is poisons and a short sword. And and Fitz immediately gets angry at this, saying, like, that's what he, you know, just sees me as, a wielder of death. How typical. Yes. And that introspection with this anger leads the fool to direct Fitz's thoughts in a slightly different direction. Which I really enjoyed this, this like, page of conversation. Specifically, the fool, of course, starts off with like, I doubt he expected you to use use those tools on yourself. Right. Kind of witty remark there. And he says, perhaps he thought you might use them to protect yourself. Don't you understand? I demanded of him. These are the gifts for the boy Chade taught to be an assassin. He can't see that isn't who I am any longer. He can't forgive me for wanting a life of my own. Any more than you can forgive him for no longer being your benevolent and indulgent tutor, the fool observed dryly. He was knotting the strings of, from the control paddles to the marionette's limbs. It's a bit of a threat, isn't it, to see him stride about like a warrior, putting himself jo- joyfully in danger for something he believes in, flirting with women, and generally acting as if he'd claimed a life of his own for himself? It was like a dash of cold water in my face. Almost. I had to admit my jealousy that Chade had boldly seized what still eluded me. That isn't it at all, I snarled at the, at the fool. And then the fool, as I mentioned in previous episodes, goes on to explain, you know, that's not Verity's emblem that you see on his forehead. That looks suspiciously like yours, Fitz. Mm-hmm. And when Verity was dead, when King Shrewd died... None of him, none of those deaths angered him or roused him from his walls. Only when he believed you murdered did anger flare up in him hot enough for him to fling aside all hiding in pretense and declare he would yet see a true farseer on the throne. 
Are you trying to say he does this for me, for my sake? When the last thing I would wish is to see the throne claim my child? It seems to me that Chade has always done what he thought was best for you, whether you agreed or not. Perhaps he extends that to your daughter. She would be, after all, his grandniece, and the last living remnant of his bloodline, excluding Regal and yourself, of course. How else would you expect a man that old to provide for a child so young? He does not expect to live forever. Perhaps he thought she would be safer astride a throne than ridden over by, an, by another who wished to claim it. thought that whole page there, those passages, really set Fitz to thinking and put it in perspective a little bit for him, even if he doesn't fully grasp anything and he's still angry. It lays it out very clearly to the reader as well what Chade might be thinking, even if it's secondhand from the fool. I think right. it's great insight. It's a good reminder that we're reading from Fitz's point of view and he is not a reliable narrator because he doesn't grasp other people's point of views very easily. And I think the beginning of this like segment of the acknowledgement of this is kind of childish, this feeling that he has and that he understands it's childish, but on a deeper level doesn't understand why he can't just cut that go. Yeah. this person that loves him and that he loves out of his life. I personally feel like this is because he knows on a subconscious level that Chade isn't trying to hurt him, that this isn't a horrible thing Chade is doing and that he does, they love each other, their family, their, there is love there. I just don't think, I think like he said, he's being childish. And so he's trying not to acknowledge that. And I say that because personally, when I get really frustrated, whether it's specifically at a person or a situation that I'm in that I can't change, I typically stop thinking super rationally, <laughs> I would say. It, it feels a lot like this passage with Fitz where it's like, well, obviously he's he hates me. Like he has done an unforgivable thing. Like this person has done something and I should cut them out and I don't understand why I'm too weak to do it. He still sees me as a child when I've grown up. Yeah. And doesn't see it from the other side that, yeah, he has grown up too. <laughs> yeah. And like <laughs> times are different. You aren't a child anymore. And I don't know. So I, I really understand this viewpoint as frustrating as it is reading it. And I do come at it from a place where like, that's how I feel when I get mad at people. That's like, I mean, obviously not to this extent because number one, I don't have kids. So nobody's trying to sell my kid to the throne, <laughs> not sell, but you know, like steal my child. <laughs> and obviously I've never been almost murdered so <laughs> and then come back to life for everybody to expect me to do it again. But wow, how could you ever judge these books then, Emma? <laughs> you have to live through everything. True. Um, <laughs> no, but I do, I do feel that frustration in his self of, I know I shouldn't be this mad about this and I should just get over it, but I'm not ready to give up this anger yet. And I feel like sometimes that's how I am. I'm sometimes not ready to give up being angry. And so even when it doesn't even make any sense anymore, I'm just like, well, I'm angry and that that means I'm right. <laughs> 
And even with the fool kind of dashing that cold water and revealing and bearing Fitz's jealousy for Chade's new life. Yeah. Fitz at the end of that whole section says it would take me a long time to think through what he had said. So, yeah, he's still going to nurse that anger. He's still going to have that feeling, even if it isn't purposeful or fully directed like you did everything wrong in my life. Why can't I just hate you and be done with it? Deep down, he knows that there's a reason for it. He still loves Chade for everything. Right. But he's still going to have that for a while because it's going to take a while to process all of the feelings and emotions and the events that have happened. Right. And I think it is hard for Fitz to grasp that there is a way to be happy without getting everything exactly the way you want it. And I think that's one of his fatal flaws is that Fitz seems to think the only way to enjoy happiness is if everything is perfect and nobody knows all the bad things about him. And the thing is, is that every person has bad things about them, every single one. And that's just part of being human. And you kind of have to like make yourself better, take actions to make yourself better if you don't like the type of person you are, but also make changes to find things that bring you joy. You can't just expect things to fall perfectly into place. And so watching it's great advice for everybody, yeah. me included. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think, but I think that's part of the jealousy, right? He's watching Chade do that. Yes. Chade has become a new man. He has worked things into a way where he is happy the way things are. He didn't just sit around and stay in the wall anymore. He's, or at least happy doing what he is doing at the moment right and even that doesn't even mean that he enjoys all of it or that he likes the situation he's in he's just found something to enjoy and i just don't think fitz is capable of that at the moment i don't think he's mature enough (laughs) that makes sense although i don't know if it's maturity or just mental health issues (laughs) stopping him from finding more joy in life and to be fair his life has some pretty pretty nasty things going on right now so it's hard but i do feel for fitz even if it's a little frustrating to read him going through this yeah definitely and so fitz is once again remarking on preparations for this journey a lot of this chapter is going through those preparations until they actually leave and this part in particular is talking about clothes and getting you know the tents and things set up so joffrin has come to the fool's cabin his little hut and is measuring feet for boots and he is enjoying the distraction because the fool and joffrin have great rapport with one another and they are playing uh, off one another wittily and they have playful barbs for each other and fitz says his fluency in chirita exceeded my own and at times I was hard-pressed to follow the conversation, while half of the fool's wordplays escaped me. I wondered in passing exactly what went on between those two. When I had first arrived, I had thought her some sort of disciple to him. Now I wondered if she had not affected that interest simply as an excuse to be near him. Before she left, she measured the fool's feet as well and asked him questions as to what colors and trims he wished worked into the boots. Methinks it's a hint of jealousy I read from Fitz's mind. (laughs) Maybe a little bit here, yeah. But I think it's also something new. It's it's someone else 
wanting to be by the fool, which, yes, could morph into jealousy, but it is like a new thing. Not very many people want to be his friend, that's you know, fair. and that, I think that's what this is, because Fitz kind of dwells on his and um, the meaning the fool and Joffrin's relationship and what that could be throughout the years, even into yeah. the last trilogy, asking if like the forgotten son or the unlooked for son or whatever was he and Joffrin's together or something, you know, right all throughout there. Cause Fitz is very oblivious and hides in his mind what he knows and everything like that. And I think to the fool it's, it's just because she was a friend and wanted to be his friend. And not only that, but is willing to share witty remarks and not mean like hatefulness behind it. Right. Yeah. This, it's just an acceptance. Yeah. This, like sarcastic banter going between them doesn't have hatefulness in it. And like, I guess we don't know what they're saying, but I mean, if it's anything like how I am with my friends when I'm being sarcastic, it's a little bit mean. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I get the feeling that the fool is like with everyone. I feel like that's his love language. (laughs) Fool's love language is being a little bit mean. (laughs) But I think, (laughs) so I think that, that very easily can come across flirty in some ways, but I just, I do think it's something about never having seen the fool have a friend that's of age with them. Yeah. I assume Joffrin is around their ages. I mean, and it could be Joffrin is interested in the fool. Yeah. But for the fool, we know it's just. Just a friend. Acceptance. And I don't think Joffrin ever at least that we see ever crosses any lines of trying no, to make it yeah. more than friendship it always just seems fun and jokey with them and maybe this is a little bit of Fitz's blindness to well women and men can't just be friends like <laughs> which I don't necessarily know that he believes but no he doesn't because uh, he he and Ketrickin and his mind are just friends and right you know. but I think seeing a woman that is playful because all the women who are playful with Fitz are hitting on him and horrible. It just happened to be, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that, I don't know what he sees. So the fool also says that, yeah, I'm getting new boots cause I'm going with you to Fitz's remark and asking like, you're getting new boots. <laughs> yeah. You don't really go outside that much, but sure. And he says, the fool says, you know, I must go with you. Why else do you think we've been brought together in this far place? It is by the interaction of the catalyst and the white prophet that the events of this time shall be returned to their proper course. I believe that if we succeed, the red ships will be driven from the six duchies coast and a farseer will inherit the throne. Then out of left field in Pop's kettle with like, yep, that fits the prophecies while she's knitting. (laughs) Which also (laughs) makes it seem like Kettle just hangs out in the fool's hut literally every day. I honestly think she does. Yeah. And I think that kind of frustrates the fool. Hence, like, his conversation with Fitz last chapter being like, who is Kettle? (laughs) (laughs) She seems really portentous sometimes, but sometimes just like an old lady. And I just don't know. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, yeah, she pops in saying, like, yeah, that's a that's a prophecy that fits everything there. She's tying off the last row of knitting on a thick mitten. Little 
foreshadowing for the next paragraph here. <laughs> if the plague of the mindless hunger is forging and your actions put a stop to that, that would fit another prophecy as well. Fitz is getting a little, a little angry, I guess. I don't know if angry is the right word. He hates the mention of Catalyst, which... Well, also I he don't... says that her knack of providing a prophecy for every occasion was beginning to grate on me. <laughs> right. So, yeah, he, he really doesn't like the talk in general of that. And we we know that, you know, books down the line, too. He still doesn't like talking to the fool about those portentous things. And I don't understand why, though. Me either. I think it's because it means he's important. in his in his eyes, he's not in control of his own life when it means the exact opposite, which is a really interesting theme for all of these books is Fitz is never in his mind in control of his own destiny. He's always a tool to be used for somebody else. Right. And as the catalyst, yes, he is a tool to be used by the white prophet. However, that tool does what it wants. Right. And can direct history into any course it wants because the catalyst chooses and that's (laughs) how time changes so i think it's the interesting uh juxtaposition and counterbalance that's fair just as a quick aside yeah i also do want to quick ask your opinion so the fool has this knack for not wanting to tell fitz anything he doesn't really he doesn't know how to be a white prophet so he doesn't know if he's supposed to get involved or not But over and over again, we see Fitz and the Fool connected when big things happen and the Fool specifically trying to be present with Fitz when they do. And this happens after this moment, I believe, because before the Fool was fine to let Fitz go on all these travels alone, didn't care. And then I think every time after this and all the next books, Fool is always trying to be with Fitz during the big events. So I'm wondering... What changes his mind that tells him he should be there? I feel like he sees himself doing it. Hmm. I think that's the big thing. Because he says in this previous previous paragraph, he says, you know, ever since I was a kid, basically, I knew that I had to go with you. You know, I think it's just based on his visions. You know, Tony, man, that's the big thing is like, you know, I am going to die on this island but I have to go because that's how we win. So Fitz tries his hardest to make him stay back. He even leaves him behind on a ship and then Fitz gets carried by a girl on a dragon over, you know, like he finds a way and he makes it happen because he sees himself there. And I think that's what's happening throughout all the other, other adventures. That's fair. I guess I didn't think of it that way. I was just like, it's kind of wild that now it's like, well, he can't die alone. <laughs> I should see him die this time or something. Like, maybe it was something about. Also, he could just be more attached now to Fitz and wants to be another helping hand or to guide That's events fair. specifically. Yeah, I don't know. I just found it very interesting. And I guess he's growing up a little bit, so he's more willing, more confident in his abilities, especially after Fitz actually survived all that stuff. <laughs> That probably did help his ego a little. Yeah. So Fitz asks the fool, and what does Queen Ketrikin say about your joining her party? I haven't discussed it with her, he replied blithely. I am not joining her, Fitz. I am following you. A sort of amusement came over his face. I have known since I was a child that together we should do this task. It had not occurred to me to question that I would go with you. I have been making preparations since the day you arrived here. 
As have I, Kittle observed quietly. They both look at each other, and Fitz then turns to her and says no. And being very blunt, you know? <laughs> right. Because he's like, dying no pack finesse. animals would be bad, but having an old woman die on the journey would be even worse. Right. Because you know, <laughs> Fitz kind of, like, helped bring her there. Yeah, and he's very attached to Kettle. I, I just don't think he wants another friend to he's, die. He's attached to everybody. True. <laughs> and then the fool is a little bit more gentle here and says, you know, I thought you might want to stay in my home. There's plenty of firewood. You'll be comfortable. And she's just cuts in like, I expect to die. You know, it's fine. <laughs> like, I'm going to go, but I expect to die in the journey. So don't worry about me. I have all of everything that I could ever want. And all of the while she's stitching or knitting these wool mittens together and setting them aside and going crazy on her next item. Right. I do find it very funny that this old woman is sitting here knitting going like, I'm going to die, but not yet. So don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Done a bit of trading and I have food and such that I'll need. She glanced up from me, glanced up at me from her needles and added quietly. I have the wherewithal to see this journey through to the end. So I'm wondering, I have a big question here. Do you think she knows what Verity is doing right now? Hear me out. Here's my reasoning. She is old enough to know about right. the dragons. She, yeah. she would know that where whereabout they are and that everybody's going to find Verity who went missing looking for the elderlings. And that he's alive and somewhere over there. I think she knows that is the end goal that, you know, the myth that they were looking for. I think she is still surprised to find Verity alive and still carving and managed to almost finish it when she gets there. Mm -hmm. So I think she knows in general, like, yeah, this is what they're going to be doing, but I don't know if they know and I don't know if I can tell them secrets kind of thing because she's very reluctant to divulge anything, partly because of things in her past that mentally block her. Right. And emotionally block her from digging up those memories. But also maybe just because it's dangerous and she's like, these are children who are not even half trained Right. (laughs) (laughs) That are just like willy nilly feeding each other elf bark and saying it helps for skill users. Right. Right. That's yeah, that's fair. I guess I just was like, this is where she decides to come with. This is how the paths change. (laughs) I feel like, you know, this is a little off topic, but I feel like Kettle looks at Chade feeding Fitz elf bark somewhat similar to like a doctor nowadays giving meth to a patient saying it makes them feel good don't worry <laughs> about it and looking at them being like what are you doing <laughs> you mean a doctor watching an olden doctor like a doctor from now yeah watching an olden day doctor yeah. it just yeah it would <laughs> i just feel like that's what's going through her mind it's like these people are so backward i can't tell them anything <laughs> That's fair. Who knows what they'll do with that information? <laughs> you know what? Honestly, good. Because if she would have given anything to Chade, who knows? Who knows what that man would have done? He would have lived forever. <laughs> I mean, he already lives to God knows how long. There's estimates that it's like 130 when he dies or something. Which is crazy. Yeah. 
yeah. De- depending on how old they are and whatever, there's yeah. ages, ages fluctuating. Don't super matter in this book, apparently. It's just the vibe. <laughs> and so Fitz is almost reassured with her calm assumption, <laughs> at least admires her assumption and her calm attitude and confidence that she will make the journey, but she expects to die. So Fitz just kind of was like, okay, fine. And the next paragraph, he starts to explain, I have never had a start of an expedition go smoothly. And this was no exception because Ketrikin wakes him up and says, hey, we have to leave. Like now. Like now. There was an emissary sent from King Regal to my father. And he, the emissary, is saying, we know you're harboring a fugitive from the six duchies. Exchange them. Give us that prisoner or that you know, that fugitive. Right. Or we will invade you and attack you with all of our armies that we have assembled on your border, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and Fitz is like, oh, you know, this is just a bluff, trying to explain everything to Ketrikin. And she just kind of goes, yeah, I'm not dumb. Yeah. Like, we, we know what this is. Right. The specific <laughs> example he uses is that it would have taken way longer than just a week for regal to have amassed the amount of troops needed for this so clearly he's been doing this since before Fitz got there right for months and everything and (laughs) it's a bluff basically because he wants the mountain kingdom and Fitz knows that he just also wants Fitz easily handed to him and Ketrikin kind of says I'm not a simpleton our watchers have known for weeks that the troops are there you don't have to explain all this. We yeah. we know. <laughs> I get it, Fitz. <laughs> That's why I'm here to l- tell you to leave. Like, <laughs> but also that she explains. My father is sacrifice, Fitz. He must do whatever will best serve the Mountain Kingdom. So now he must ponder if, by turning you over, he will have a chance to treat with Regal. Because even though they have never been you know, defeated in combat and the mountains are their best defense. Mm -hmm. They've also never faced such numbers as Regal is bringing to bear right now. So Ketrikin is explaining here, my father has to think very carefully on what to do. And even if by turning you over delays, maybe a couple weeks before the invasion happens, that's more weeks to get ready to defend, to dig in, to prepare for all of this. And Fitz is like, okay, so his decision is made already. And Ketrikin has to chime in and say, no, he didn't have to tell me about this. He's giving us an opportunity to run. Right. So we're taking it. We're running. Yeah. And I mean, rightly so of Ketrikin to defend her father. First of all, because I'm sure she loves her dad. But also to point out to Fitz, like, we're not giving you up. We're leaving. There's no reason I needed to know this information. My dad is doing this so that I can take you away early so that he has an excuse and that I won't be defying his orders. Right. And so she says that it'll be a lot harder than before. We can't take anybody else. So it'll be you, me and Starling alone. We live like an hour behind this woodshed. Let's go. And Fitz and the fool kind of look at each other. And Fitz is like, so do we tell Kettle? (laughs) And the fool here, funny you asked before that, you know, the fool doesn't want to get involved in any of the decisions. Mm -hmm. He demands at Fitz here is the wording. Why are you asking me? And I feel like that's like 
somewhat exasperation like don't look at me like kettle's your issue but yeah. also it could be i'm not gonna make the choice for you oh yeah i guess because she is potentially she could helpful. be yeah she yeah. could be part of this and the fool's like this could be big i'm not gonna touch it <laughs> i don't want to mess anything up and fitz is not gonna tell her yeah he just kind of gives a shrug hastily packs tells night eyes and night eyes is like oh well you know, I'm going to miss the fireplace, but the hunting will be better where we're going. And Fitz is kind of admiring his easy acceptance yes. of the changing environment and situation. I also think it's really cute that Night Eyes loves the fireplace. I think that's Same. something that spreads out throughout the whole series. Always laying down in front of the fireplace. Yeah, he just really likes it. And it's so cute. I just love the Spiced image. Spiced cakes in the fireplace. Those are like the two. <laughs> and fish. And fish. He and does porcupines. Like And as they're leaving, the fool has a little bit of sentimentality here. The fool took a careful look around the hut and then closed the door behind us. That's the first place I've ever lived that was solely mine, he observed as we walked away from it. You leave so much behind to do this, I said awkwardly, thinking of his tools, his half-finished puppets, even the plants growing inside by the window. Despite myself, I felt responsible for it. Perhaps it was because I was so glad that I was not going on alone. He glanced over at me and shrugged. I take myself with me. That's all I truly need or own. And he makes sure to mention that Joffrin will take good care of it. And of Kettle, too. Yeah. I wondered if he left behind more than I knew. Again, Fitz commenting on what are Joffrin and, and the Fool. Right. Ambiguous. <laughs> yes. But yeah, the, this is the fool's place solely. It's not just a room in a castle that he got to decorate, but was eventually defiled by regal soldiers. You know, right. this is his house. This was the place that he lived. People yeah. knew he lived there and didn't bother him that much. Yeah. You know? they like <laughs> knocked on the door before entering mostly. <laughs> and he got to decorate it how he wanted. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's tough thing to leave behind. But the fool is called to a, a very large purpose. And right. And a nomadic life. That. Yeah. And so he knows that, yes, this may be sad to go, but like it was always going to eventually go away. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I really like the line that I take myself and that's all I really need or own. Because I think that's like kind of a cool sentiment of like. Yeah, things are temporary. Yeah. But I'm here and you know, that's that's what I got. <laughs> I do want to read this next passage. Uh <laughs> <laughs> It's very good. We were nearly to the woodshed when I saw some children racing down the path toward us. There he is, one cried pointing. I shot a startled glance at the fool, then braced myself wondering what was to come. How could one defend oneself against children? At a loss, I awaited the attack. But the wolf did not wait. He sank low to his belly in the snow, even his tail flat. As the children closed the distance, he suddenly shot forward straight at the leader. No! I cried aloud in horror, but none of them paid me any heed. The wolf's front paws struck the boy's chest to drive him down hard in the snow. In a flash, Night Eyes was up and after the others who fled, shrieking with laughter, as one after another he caught up with them and mowed them down. 
By the time he felled the last one, the first boy was up and after him, vainly trying to keep up with the wolf and making wild grabs at his tail as night eyes flashed by him, tongue lolling. He felled them all again, twice more, before he halted in one of their racing loops. He watched the children getting to their feet, then glanced over his shoulder at me. He folded his ears down abashedly, then looked back to the children, his tail wagging low. One girl was already digging a chunk of flatbread out of her pocket while another teased him with a strip of leather, snaking it over the snow, trying to get him involved in a tug-of-war. I feigned not to notice. I'll catch up with you later, he offered. No doubt, I told him dryly. <laughs> Good and, pup. Yes, Go and to Fitz, play. <laughs> Fitz now knows what Night Eyes is doing with his afternoons. And I, uh, I wanted to point out, I think I mentioned before, when Fitz was walking up to jean Pei's palace, they hear the shriek of laughter in the distance of children, and Night Eyes kind of perks up and looks over. Right. I don't know if I mentioned it then, but I, I do remember that detail, and I remembered this scene, and I thought it was great. <laughs> I think that this is such a cute little imagery, and also very good pop. <laughs> I also think it's a little bit sad that Fitz assumed that children were coming to attack him. Yeah. And that his first thought was like, how do you defend against a child? I guess I'll just wait for them to attack first. And like, oh my gosh, that is so sad. That it's is heartbreaking. Like shadows of the trauma that he is suffering. Yes. That he's assuming a child running at him is not deadly, but going to end in bloodshed. He's it's, lived all of his life like that. And it's, yeah, ugh, it's, it's like terrible to read. I feel so bad. And as cute and funny and fluffy as the rest of the scene is, that part really breaks my heart for Fitz. And the fact that he thought Night Eyes was like attacking these children, like actually going to hurt these kids and didn't realize it was just play. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, Fitz. So Fitz and the Fool walk on, leaving Night Eyes behind to have his play and his fun. To get to have fun, yeah. Yes. He and deserves it. They meet up with Ketrikin, who questions the Fool while why he is there. And the Fool is like, I go where he goes. The Queen looked at him and something in her face almost softened. It will be cold, Fool. I have not forgotten how you suffered from the cold on the way here. Where we go now, the cold will linger long after spring has reached Jean-Pay. I go where he does, the fool repeated quietly. She accepts that, and they head out with all of the, the japas, the herd-like animals, the pack animals. Yes. Um, it is said that the same amount of japas, which is six of them, I believe, are still going. Fitz is dismayed because there's not, you know, six people going anymore. Yes, but... It'll take too long to unpack. Right. So he's just made, but Ketrika yes. made the decision and they're moving on. Also, they describe Joppas and they're... Jeppas. Jeppas. Yeah. I mispronounced that. <laughs> they're very interesting sounding. They have hairy ears. They're... A little bit like a goat. Yeah, but they have paws. Yeah. <laughs> Which... What a strange image in my mind. I wish there was like art. <laughs> I wish there was a little sketch of this somewhere. But also like Jeppas exist and unicorns don't. Okay, sure. <laughs> There's a goat with paws. I think a unicorn is doable. 
So they set a pace out and it's slightly faster than a comfortable walk, Fitz describes it as. And all of a sudden there is a shout from behind them. And once again, in the descriptors here, Fitz flinched and glanced hastily over his shoulder. It was just Starling coming at a run towards them. When she came up to us, she said accusingly, You left without me. The fool grinned. I shrugged. I left when my queen commanded it, I observed. And Starling marches up towards Ketrikin while they're walking. They have a conversation, and Ketrikin's like, I told you I was leaving right away, the queen said tersely. Then I did. To my amazement, Starling had the sense to be quiet. For a brief time, she struggled along the loose snow beside Ketrikin. Then she gradually gave it up, letting first the Jeppas and then the fool and me pass her. She fell in behind me. I knew our pace would be difficult for her to match. I felt sorry for her. Then I thought of my daughter and did not even look back to see if she was keeping up. Ketrikin sets a hard pace. She's very absolute in her orders and didn't hesitate to leave behind Starling. Right. And Ketrikin is like the most in shape person here, I'm sure. Yes. Um, not that I'm saying that any of these other people are out of shape by any sense of the word. The fool but has never been a physical person. No. And she also has the advantage of being raised in this terrain. Yes, she is used to it. Yeah, like snow walking is an art form and people who are from Wisconsin are very good at it. And then there's people (laughs) like me who live in Wisconsin who is not, I'm not. And I always seem to take the worst path. So like. (laughs) like, Well, and often it's relatively easy what we have to walk in. Right. But what they're doing is unbroken snow in the middle of like the mountains Mm -hmm. and they have to forge a path. And that is very difficult. I don't know how many listeners we have that have regular winters, but walking through even ankle deep snow all of the time is incredibly (laughs) exhausting because one, you either have to lift your legs up higher to get it over the snow Mm -hmm. or two, you drag your feet through the snow and it's incredible resistance even though you think it wouldn't be because it's right. powdery like but like if it's a good it's snow like good building snow like for a snowman oh, or a fort and heavy oh that's the worst and i assume that's what it's like on the mountains i've never been to a mountain <laughs> during snow season i don't know but like in my mind it's the wet heavy stuff that would be great for building something but not so great to walk in for long distances <laughs> at a fast pace and yet they are. They are forging their way forward. Ketchikan is leading the way, as we said. She d- doesn't let up on the pace, kept them moving steadily. And eventually, with the mild day and them warming up with their furs, trying to keep up and march throughout this all this snow, Night Eyes is joining up with them. Where Fitz exclaims, good doggy. That pales in comparison to what Kettle is calling you, he observes smugly. I pity you all when the old bitch catches up with the pack. She has a stick. (laughs) (laughs) That as just mentions that she tracks quite well for a noseless human and she is following. Yes, she is making her way downtown, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I do also want to say that Fitz makes a comment that there is no talking during this because everyone that Fitz specifically is too busy breathing and trying to ignore the pain in his back, but it's very relatable. I feel like <laughs> getting out of breath while walking with a group, same fits. <laughs> but yeah, so when Night Eyes joins, he brings the news. Kettle is coming and she's not happy you left her. And 
So Fitz relays this to the fool because only Fitz can talk to Night Eyes. And the fool says, well, she has a right to her own decision. And then he says, it still unnerves me a bit when you, you and the wolf do that. Does it bother you that I'm witted? Does it bother you to meet my eyes? He rejoined. It was enough. We kept walking. So I think this is really cute. <laughs> that Fitz is obviously very insecure about this. He thinks everyone hates him now that he is witted. And I think the fool is just kind of trying to be jokey a little bit. But it probably is weird to see somebody talk to a dog telepathically. Yeah. I guess I don't know if you can tell. Maybe once well, you know. Because he probably just kind of zones out for a little bit. And then all of a sudden he comes to the fool with new information. It's like, oh, yeah. well. So maybe it's one of those things where if you didn't know the person very well or didn't know they were witted, you wouldn't notice. But right. as soon as you know that's what's happening, it's like very obvious. And you're like, ooh, that's weird. But once again, it's just acceptance. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's weird. But like, I like you for you. And you don't. You know, you don't deign to meet my eyes or anything like that. You know, you're you're there looking at me because we're friends. Oh, I thought this was a comment on the fact that the fool has like weird colorless eyes and people don't like looking at him. Yeah, that's what exactly what I'm saying. Oh. But Fitz doesn't have a problem with that. Right. Which well, is what the like, even though Fitz could think that it's weird for him to have colorless weird eyes. Right. He still looks at him in the eyes. He still accepts him. He's still his friend. And that's what he's equating. Right. Being witted to. It's just like it's something different about you. It doesn't change my feelings right okay i misunderstood what you said though. so they continue on here and fitz remarks that the when they settle down to have a shelter it seems to be in a place that has been used in the past and might be a trader's trail but it doesn't look frequently used the trail that they're on so she sets up the uh, the camp or directs everybody to help in setting up the camp. And they stop and start to make, you know, a dinner yeah. <laughs> for the night, set up their tent, everything like that. Ketrickin does make the comment. She tells Starling to go start a fire with the firewood that is there. But she does say, but then you need to replace the wood that you take, if not leaving more. Because this place is usually come to with horrible weather and it's life or death for people having wood here or not. Right. So this is an important spot, but not super used, like you said. Fitz remarks on the fact that she's very efficient with no wasted movements or directions or anything setting up this camp and that she would have made a great soldier. Reminds him of Verity a little bit of that way. Once again, just kind of brings the reader to mind of like, these two are a great pair right. kind of thing. Verity and Ketrickin, the <laughs> king and queen. Yes. It's also said that she's telling people what to do, but she's not just sitting around like a queen waiting for everybody to do it for her. She's in there with them. She's helping. She's rolling her sleeves up metaphorically because I'm sure in that weather you would keep them down. But she's helping too. And I think that's partially what reminds Fitz of Verity. Yeah, definitely. And also when they're all set up, Fitz goes over to Ketchkin and says, I think Kettle may be following us. 
Do you think I should go back and look for her? To what end? Ketrickin asked me. The question sounded callous, but she went on. If she can catch up with us, then we will share what we have. You know that. But I suspect that she will weary before she gets here and turn back to jean Pei. Perhaps she has already turned back. And perhaps she has become exhausted and sunk down by the side of the trail, I thought. But I did not go back. I recognized in Ketrickin's words the harsh practicality of the mountain folk. She would respect Kettle's decision to follow us, even if her attempt to do so killed her. Ketrickin would not interfere with her own will for herself. And again, it's brought up that it is custom sometimes for elderly folk to sequester themselves in the wilderness, to succumb by themselves, to not burden any of their families with their passing. Right. And so it's just a culture difference, and that is their own free will to do so, and you can't stop them. Right. But he also mentions that he in his culture, respect Kettle's choice to do something that's hard, if even if that means death at the end. And so with that respect there and that worry that Fitz has for Kettle, he sends Night Eyes back to go searching for her. Night Eyes, in my mind, kind of metaphorically rolls his eyes and sighs because he is eating at the moment, <laughs> says guard my meat, and then goes back. And as they finish up cooking the meal for all of them, Kettle and Night Eyes return, and she is stalking up to the fire and f glowering at the fool and Fitz, and Fitz hands over the fresh cup of tea that he just poured for himself to Kettle, <laughs> which she drinks, and then says accusingly, you left me. Fitz starts to explain, and she kind of cuts in and says, I came anyway, and I intend to go on with you. And Ketrickin replies, we are fleeing. We can't slow our pace for you. Sparks near leaped from Kettle's eyes. Did I ask you to? She asked the queen tartly. Ketrickin shrugged. Just so you understand, she said quietly. I do, Kettle replied as quietly, and it was settled. Fitz remarks that he watched this exchange and his admiration for both women grew a bit, and really remarks on the fact that Ketrickin has grown into her self being the queen the queen of the six duchies she is in command of the situation and she knows that her orders are going to be absolute and yet still has the sentimentality and the mountain kingdomness i guess to connect woman to woman in a conversation and respect people's wishes right and to allow someone to talk to her the way that <laughs> kettle was talking to her which even though it's kind of justifiable person to person Maybe not super great to do to a royal. Once again in this chapter, the last line of this is, Once more I had glimpsed her medal and found I could not fault it. This chapter is filled with, I am nursing a hatred or anger towards Ketrakin or finding fault in things that she does, but oh my gosh, she's a wonderful person. Like, that's just <laughs> like littered throughout this whole chapter, which yeah. is funny. Yeah. Because... Fitz just wants his friend back. Right. He does remark a lot about the, the same thing with Chade. Like, you yes. know, it's <laughs> he, he remarks a lot about the loss of friendship between them and how like there's the the little tinge of friendship missing from all their conversations. He brings that up a lot. Um, so I do think he missed Ketrickin and misses her as a friend. But he is still like rooting for her. He's 
like fanboy behavior here. Like, yeah, you go queen, <laughs> you tell her, but also you go kettle. Like <laughs> he, I don't know. He is not one to belittle a woman for being strong, even if it's in a way that's different than how he's seen it be before. And I think Ketrickin is a really good leader in that way. Mm-hmm. So they settle down for the night and I want to mention this quick before I move on, because nothing too eventful happens at night. However, he does mention that he's thinking of that skill river. That seductive image lurked always at the edge of my mind now. Resolutely, I pushed the temptation from my mind, but that night my dreams were full of it. Just keep that in mind, because that is always in the back of Fitz's head throughout these chapters and has been since the vision that he had of Verity dipping his hands in that. Right. I I also just quickly want to say that something that is also important is Kettle and Ketrickin are keeping watch here. They went off together this night, and I feel like that helps them. Oh, did they? Yeah. Ketrickin specifically has Kettle and herself as the first watch. Oh, I I didn't read it that way, actually. I thought it was just because it says uh, she posted a watch and included both Kettle and herself in that duty. So I thought it was just like she included herself and Kettle in the rotation that they all shared the responsibility. Okay, okay, okay. I see. That's what I thought. That actually makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that's correct. I had read it as like they went off and talked together and they like maybe Mm. maybe Ketrick knows some stuff, but (laughs) clearly not. I was way too excited for there to be like. A bromance, a womance, if you will. <laughs> a woman, uh, like, woman power. Two strong ladies getting along. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it was more of, once again, Fitz remarking on Kettle, or Ketrickin didn't hesitate to include everybody in the share of chores. Right. So that was, that's like, talked point, about a yeah. few times leading up to it. So that's how I read it. Oh, I well, know. I was like, well, you said nothing important happens, but... <laughs> So that's now you can see in my mind that nothing yes, really nothing important. Nothing really important. <laughs> <laughs> so Fitz does remark that for four days, Ketrickin held the pace and it kind of fell into a routine where they marched throughout the day, settled down, and a little bit lagging behind. And afterwards, Kettle would march into camp. No one talked about that pace being set. No one talked about anything. You know, no, Kettle didn't complain about it or anything like that. They all shared in the duties and the responsibilities of setting up camp, taking down camp, cooking, watch, all of that stuff. And impressively, Kettle is always ready to go first thing in the morning. Yep. She did say that she has the wherewithal to complete the journey. True. So she is doing it. Do you think... Sorry, this just made me think. Do you think that she has what fits has later where she's like skill repairing no we've already talked about this nope i don't because fitz's thing was an accident of over skilling and overhealing it is a remnant and should not happen Mm. and for coteries who are fully trained that would not happen because even though fitz is always healed and always like maintains the same you know view on physically on the outside he is still Mm -hmm. aging and it takes more and more out of him as he gets an injury and has to heal. Right. Because even fair. though he heals right away, yeah. it just leaves him weakened and exhausted because it takes like his life force, basically. Right. It's just accelerated. I guess I was just thinking that 
because the whole thing is that she was like misusing the skill to be vain. So I was wondering if maybe she like did something similar where she like yeah. maybe it slowed the aging process, not necessarily healed, but I feel like it does it that anyways. Right. <laughs> She's 200 and some, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> I think Solicity was really old. It never explicitly says, but it was like the old skill master Solicity. So I feel like it was just, which does also really con- conflicts and has causes issues with timelines. Right. Because we don't know, but. Right. And also, though, that does, sorry, just had a little bit of a thought that's a tangent, but if skill users live that long, does that mean that the Farseer kings, especially the earlier ones who were heavy practicing skill, lived for like ever and regular people are just dying and the same king has been on for three generations on the phone for three generations? See, like, I, I don't know. See, we, we don't know. It, it yeah. could be that uh, that Kettle or Kestrel did something with the skill to extend yeah, her life. True could be that they live a little bit longer like Chade did and it was like right. 150 or something, you know. Maybe not crazy, but we we don't know. It just messes with timelines. Yeah. I don't know. Just a thought I, mean, I had of like That's what <laughs> that's what Lord of the Rings is like. You know, the yeah. Aragorn lives to be 230 something or something like that. He's like 90 in the first Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's like 94 years old oh or something. Gosh. Okay, I didn't know that. And lives to be like 200 and some and he has to see his regular people that he's governing in Gondor. Spoiler alert, he becomes the king of Gondor again. <laughs> wow. How dare you spoil like uh, a 70-year-old like... book? <laughs> something that was written in like, like World something. War II era. Yeah. Like, oh no. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I feel like that's also kind of a trope of like long-lived royal or special cast or you know, which is taste users. I must say a kind of funny concept because I imagine most royals throughout time did not live very long, especially because of the whole inbreedy thing about royalty. <laughs> <Right>. Like <laughs> it's a funny trope that like, oh, they live longer than the normal person. But like on the whole, it elevates they? them, you know, it's an easy way to True. elevate them and put them above a common folk for good themes or storylines, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Have your main character longer. (laughs) (laughs) So the fourth night, when they were all within the tent and settled down to sleep, Ketrickin suddenly addressed me. Fit chivalry. I would have your thoughts on something, she declared. I sat up, intrigued by the formality of her request. I am at your service, my queen. Beside me, the fool muffled a snicker. I suppose we both looked a bit odd, sitting in a welter of blankets and furs and addressing one another so formally. But I kept my demeanor. She pulls him aside, pulls out a map, which is the old map that he had seen before from Verity, or at least some sort of version of it, showing different trade routes and things like that of this mainly unexplored area of the Mountain Kingdom. And specifically asks Fitz a question of if they should go and continue on this one trade route, this road, that appears on the map and has three separate destinations, but it's kind of unmarked where it starts. It's unmarked where each of those destinations end up, or if they should go to another area where Ketrakin and her previous scouts found the battle evidence and the before thought of bones of Verity. I 
do want to say that I think it's really interesting. So when Ketrickin points at the map, she points at where they are and it's nothing. It's just a blank spot on the map. And then she points a little bit further up where the spot is also nothing. It is not on any road. It's not close to the road. And I just find that so interesting because we know that Fitz and Kedrickin are taking this path because they are hiding from King Aod. This is, you know, they're being quote pursued. Unquote, yeah, yes. quote unquote. This yeah. isn't real, but they are a little bit. They are trying not to take the most obvious path to where they're going. And that really strikes me as odd because why would Verity have taken a similar path if he didn't need to like hide where he didn't need to be secretive about what road he was taking. You know what I mean? I just find it really strange that there are easier paths that are on trade routes that they could have used. And instead they're off the beaten path. Remember Verity had been attacked already. This was the oh, second attack. Good point. Okay. I so forgot I feel about like that. once they encountered that on the border, they maybe went to Jean Pei, you know, resupplied right. and then kind of tried to hide and continue on. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, they would have had to come to Jean Pei to look at the maps, right? I think they had one from Buckheap's library. That's what made them go on that journey to begin with. No, I thought Kedrickin's talking about the map in Jean Pei is what made them go on the journey. Possibly, but I'm pretty sure she found one. And the conclusion that Fitz and Chade came to, and I think maybe Verity as well, is that it looks to be Mountain Kingdom of Origin, mm. so you might find more in Jean Pei. Right. Okay, okay. So I think they had the map, but they were going to go there to like just... Like a copy, probably. Yeah, they were going to try to see, find the original or more information or something. Okay. That's, that's my understanding of it. That makes sense. Sure. So Fitz gives his opinion that it wouldn't be worth it going to where he was. We should try to meet him where he intended to go. So it, there's no point of going to that battle site. Let's there's, go to the road. Yeah, there's nothing to be found there anymore. It's been six months since you were last there, and there's probably nothing there that you haven't already found. He once again insists that he is still alive, and we should follow the trail and implores or like says to Katrakan, we should go where he was going, you know, not where he was. Right. So she taps on that road that I specifically mentioned. And this is kind of important. I want to go over because it, you know, specifically leads into next chapter, which is coincidentally titled The Skill Road. <laughs> yes. So she taps on the road and says it's known to us. It was a trade route road once. And although no one even recalls what its destination was, it is still used. The more remote villages and the solitary trappers have their paths to it. And they then follow it down to Jean Pei. We could have been traveling on it all this time, but I did not wish to. It is too well used. We have come by the swiftest route, if not the wide widest. Tomorrow, however, we shall cross it, and when we do, we shall set our backs toward Jampe and follow it up into the mountains. I have never been to that part of the mountains, she said simply. Few have, other than trappers or occasional adventurers, who go to see if the old tales are true. Usually they bring back tales of their own, 
that are even stranger than the ones that prompted them to go adventuring. I watched her pale fingers walk slowly across the map. The faint lines of the ancient road diverged into three separate trails with different destinations. It began and ended that road with no apparent source or destination. Whatever had once been marked at the end of those lines had faded away into inky ghosts. Neither of us had any way of knowing which destination Verity had chosen. Though they did not look far separated on the map, the terrain of the mountains could mean they were days or even weeks apart. So I believe we find out that those are marked with runes that are very similar to Chiyurden runes mm -hmm. and also very similar to Skillstone pillars and also very similar to Out Island language or runes, I think. Yes. I think they're all kind of tangentially based on the same elderling language right. or symbols. But they don't know where those roads lead at the moment or that one road that branches into three different areas where any of those go. They don't know where Verity went in those three destinations, but that is their best lead. They're going to go on that well-traveled road, which eventually turns into the skill road and try to find him. Yeah. I do want to touch on something that we kind of skimmed over, and that's that Ketrickin opens up a little bit and tells Fitz that it's really hard for her to believe him when he says that Verity is alive because she went to the scene of this battle. She saw his cloak and bones underneath it. She held the bones. She buried them. She treated them as if they were her husband and mourned for six months and can still smell the scent of those bones. It's not something that she can readily put aside. So I thought that was a really vulnerable moment from Ketrickin. And I think it is a little bit of an olive branch or the opening of the door to their friendship again to say it's really hard to trust that he's alive because I don't know this magic. I've never used it. I don't understand it. And you're just telling me, well, because magic, he's for sure alive. And she explores that a little bit more with them not knowing which branch Verity went down. She asks Fitz, could not you simply skill to him and ask him where he is or bid him come to us or at least ask him why he has not returned to me? At each small shake of my head, her eyes grew wilder. Why not? She demanded in a shaking voice. This great and secret magic of the Farseers cannot even call him to us in such need. I kept my eyes on her face, but wished there had been fewer listening ears. Despite all Ketrickin knew of me, I still felt very uneasy speaking of the skill with anyone save Verity. I chose my words carefully. By skilling to him, I might place him in great danger, my lady, or draw trouble down on us. So he thinks a little bit more once she asks him to explain about his specific wording. And again, reservations to say all these secrets in front of the people that he is in front of right now. Right. Kettle, Starling, and the Fool. And says that the Coterie Galen made was never loyal to the king. Not to King Shrewd, not to King Verity. Always, they were the tool of a traitor, used to cast doubt on the king's abilities and undermine his ability to defend his kingdom. From Kettle came a small gasp of indrawn breath, which is a very small detail, but prominent because that is the next paragraph's first line. 
And it makes very, it makes a lot of sense when we know her history is right. being a part of a coterie. And that was the sacred duty of a coterie. Like the thing that you were chosen for is to give strength to your king. Yep. To be used how you need to, to defend the kingdom and to learn that the very purpose of a coterie was subverted and used against that king has to be a huge betrayal in Kettle's mind. Right. I also think it speaks to the fact that when you make something secretive and you like turn it illegal in this case with the skilling that you change it into this thing that becomes dangerous because then the people who are privileged with the power have the responsibility to keep it all about knowledge clean and wholesome and usually they're not really caring about it. And then you get this where there is an overthrow and it's like crazy that <laughs> that it could have been solved if they would have continued to regularly train people in the skill because there'd be more people to uphold the honor of the system mm-hmm. and there wouldn't be this elitism about it to breed the ultra elitism of I'm better than you and my guy is better than yours. We're going to make him king instead. Right. So Fitz explains their theory, or at least his theory, that the Coterie was delaying messages enough or not relaying messages to make Verity seem very incompetent Right. during this time, all under direction from Regal. And to his dukes, his efforts would appear inept, his strategies untimely or foolish. And he trails off because he can see Ketrigan getting angrier and angrier at this thought. And she says... How many lives, how many towns, how many dead or worse forged, all for a prince's spite, all for a spoiled boy's ambition for the throne? How could he have done it, Fitz? How could he have stood to let people die simply to make his brother look foolish and incompetent? Fitz just replies that perhaps to him they were only game pieces to be won or destroyed if he couldn't take them for himself. And she says that, Well, that can't be forgiven. And then with an oddly gentle finality, she added, You will have to kill him, Fitzchivalry. So odd to be given that royal command at last. I know that, my lady. I knew it when I last tried. No, she corrected me. When last you attempted it, it was for yourself. Did not you know that had angered me? This time I tell you, you must kill him for the sake of the six duchies. It is the only way in which he can be sacrificed for his people, to be killed for them before he can hurt them anymore. And tells everybody to go to sleep. Yes. I do want to say that I think that this is a little bit of, like, I don't know. I don't love the Ketrickens like, well, actually, it doesn't count that you tried to kill him first because it was for you. And when I'm telling you to kill him, it's for the good of the six duchies, not because I'm just mad at him. And it's like, mm, okay, but also... You are ending somebody's life over your anger. And while I get it, because, like, it's Regal and he's done horrible things, you're not any better, Ketrikin, just because you're the one giving the order versus Fitz. And I hate that there's this little, like, don't you know how mad it made me that you just wanted to kill your uncle for your own gain? Yeah, because, like, now in in her eyes, it's like, oh, now I have the justification and I can order you to. Right. And it's like, well, Fitz already had that information. Yeah. So, so either it was okay better, before. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so like either it was okay before or it's still not okay. And like, 
I personally don't believe death is a great punishment. That's my own personal opinion. So I probably wouldn't order Fitz to kill Regal. But like, I I just hate that line of like, don't you know that's why it made me mad? You did it for yourself. And it's like, well, I think there's a little <laughs> bit of selfishness on your end too, Kedrickin. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So that's a little frustrating. But also like, finally somebody's upset and like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So she commands everybody to go to sleep. They all lay down and fall asleep pretty promptly, except for Fitz and Starling, who is on watch. But for Fitz, he's thinking of this situation, first of all. But also, he mentions that no one else heard the rushing drive of the skill urge that grew stronger within me every day of our journeying. I had not spoken to the queen of my other fear, that if I reached out to Verity with the skill, I would never return, but would instead immerse myself in that skill river I had glimpsed and be forever borne away on it. Fiercely I set my walls and boundaries, not only to keep the coterie out and, the re- and regal, but to keep himself in. So Fitz is, even now, aware of that severe longing as i mentioned earlier in the chapter right and it is coming up again and next chapter it comes kind of to a head where kettle eventually has to teach him that stones game to keep him distracted enough right yeah i it makes me worried for verity because verity is all alone and in person witnessed the draw of the skill so I wonder if he's going through similar thoughts. 100%. But he is also very determined. (laughs) Like Fitz mentioned, just basically living on his will to complete his task at this moment. Yeah. Once you start, isn't there, there's kind of like a pull to finish it. Isn't that what Fitz kind of says? Like when he's giving his memories to Girl and Dragon? Yeah. He wants to just keep pouring him out and then eventually just like Fitz, that's enough. And he stops. So Verity had already started carving and he's like, well, not like I want to, like, I just want to give myself to this. So that probably helps you, you know, pull back from the skill river a little bit. But also Verity walked along the skill road and didn't succumb to just laying down and falling into it. How powerful is this man? And why is he not the main character of our hero's journey? (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. He sounds like. Because right right now, his story would be very boring. Uh, It'd be the last, you know, like in the last book of uh, all of these, you know, Assassin's Fate, where Fitz is carving his dragon, uh, his wolf, I guess. It like kind of breezes past in a chapter and like nothing happens and like months pass. I feel like that's what it would be for Verity right now. Like, it's just a blur for him. (laughs) Although, I don't know, because he had to find the skill river. How did he do that? How did he know to go looking for that? what told him to do that what how did he even find this city like what is going on i need to know all the details i don't know (laughs) it'd be great to get that point of view but you're right i think at this point in time maybe a little bit more boring i think the book would be about half as long as it is now at least (laughs) i don't know i think you're underestimating i think you're underestimating there could be a lot of things added in there like mental he's like keeping a mental tab on fits for a long time that's yeah sure i don't know we'll never hear it no we never will it would 
should probably be more front heavy too. Yeah. With information and things going on. Although I don't know, he did just look out of window for like all of the first book. So <laughs> Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us talk about Fitz and Verity this episode. If you have anything to say, please let us know. Is Fitz happy at gmail.com? Message us directly on any of our social medias. You can access those links on our website, isfitshappy.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right. So now I get to talk about what you guys have brought to our attention. I want to start with a conversation about something that has been coming up throughout this episode, which is about age. So we had someone message us on Instagram. Their name is Amir. And they told us that they believe that Fitz is 18 at the during this book, this part of the book specifically that we're in, and especially seventeen or eighteen. Yes, and that while ha- later books, Hob claims that he is twenty. This is more of like a loss of lost track of time, or Hob being inconsistent. We're trying to simplify, or yes, trying to simplify, get close, which is fair. <laughs> Um, It also talks about how um, Fitz never really knows his age. I mean, like there are later books where he doesn't have he hasn't kept track fully. No. And he loses track of time, as it were, Um, which I think does lend to the possibility that maybe 20 is incorrect later when it's said or that he is younger or older than 18. I'm. I'm still not sure. I kind of at this point have given up. (laughs) I don't think I'll ever know for sure. Um, Unless Robin Hobb herself messages us and says, here's the age timeline. And even then I'd be like, well. (laughs) So it was very interesting, though, just to have the thought of potentially it's Fitz's unreliability as a narrator being part of the problem as to why we can't figure out his age. Yeah. And that he just I mean, Think about how quickly weeks can pass for him sometimes, and then sometimes a whole day is described like a month. So clearly the kid isn't keeping super full track of (laughs) his own birthday. The second part of Amir's message here is talking about the confrontations chapter and that it's possibly the wisest he was in all of the trilogies. Because his decision to stay away from Nettle, it shows that he kind of has a little bit more understanding of what his father did for him to stay away, to protect him. And it shows that he was grown up a bit more. And Amir remarks that he was more so angry at Fitz not being as angry as he should at everybody else (laughs) for trying to do that or take him away from his daughter or anything like that. Specifically says, if anything, I was angry that Fitz wasn't as angry as me with everyone being so obtuse about Nettle and him. There are so many other directions to consider and see. As far as everyone knows, August lives. It wasn't retconned yet 
or the rest of the Mountwell family, which was known to have Farseer blood or have Chade father and heir. So he's talking about a lot of like retcons in here as well, which is interesting. As far as I know, August has died at this point, I think. Because Fitz remarks on it later that he died a simpleton because he like shortened years because he got blasted out and he lost some of his intelligence, his cognitive function, whatever it was. I don't know if that's retcon. It's very in- unclear when it happens during that timeline. Right. But the main point that Amir is making that it was very. There were other options. There were other options. And Amir specifically considers Fitz grown up at that choice that he's making that that stand against everybody else. Of like, right. Leave them alone. Have me instead. The full sacrificial like you understand what people have went through before you. Now you are truly making a choice for the good of your child. For the right. future. Yeah. No, it is a big move on Fitz's part. I do also like the thought of like, Chade could still father an heir. And that should be enough. But yeah, I guess, I guess not. <laughs> he will. <laughs> but. Amir is specifically very, very sympathetic and empathizes with Fitz's anger in that chapter specifically. Yes. Not just about that, but also being angry at not being included in planning because he had told Starling that he was going to go by himself and the fool to seek Verity. The fool, of course, is not going to listen, but Starling takes it upon herself to inform everybody else. And Ketrickin is under the impression that Fitz isn't going to come. And like, right. there's just no communication. So I, I can agree with that, that it is justified anger. <laughs> Yes, the anger is very real in that chapter. <laughs> Mir also sent a wonderful puppy picture. Yes. Very adorable. We love to see it. Thank yes. you. <laughs> um, so we'll go on from Instagram <laughs> and move over to the emails. We got a very interesting theory from a listener, Alessandra. And... They have a theory that Chade's real name is Chase. And that that's why everybody talks about how it should be Shade with an S instead of a C. But maybe the reason he kept the C, C H Chade, is because he only changed one letter and that he wanted to be as close to the name his mother gave him. And that Chase fits within the Farseer naming convention. And it does kind of fit his personality where he's always chasing things, whether that's women or knowledge. (laughs) And I thought that was a really interesting concept that like potentially part of his name is in the name he has given. Yeah. Especially they bring up Lant and Shine. Shine. Yes. Which is. Lant is short for lantern lantern. Yeah. I genuinely, every time I say that, think that I'm making that up. I'm like, lantern is not a name. <laughs> like none of these are names. <laughs> the but like, that's names even are, more. Not yeah, a lantern name. is a thing. That's, that's <laughs> not like an emotion. Shine is better than lantern. Okay. Anyway. So every time I say that, I think I'm wrong, but yeah, lantern and shine. They're both. Uh, they were both brought up with names that were not their real names or right. given names. They were you know, very close, though. So, yeah. yeah. So kind of Fits has the their theme. own theory on Chase yeah. Fallstar. Which I do like a lot. I don't know if it's right, but I like it. So <laughs> thank you for that idea. And Anna sends us a an email again as well, talking about the Skill River. 
and Kelsingra, where we thought it might not be located. And they are specifically saying that in Dragon Keeper, which they're rereading right now, it doesn't mention anything about that. There is an old well that we had talked about previously as well. Right. And that there's no mention of sand and things like that. So Anna's also under the impression that it has to be in a different city. They posit that it may be somewhere closer to where the fool is originally from. Just because of the sand, the southern right. location, you know, might be closer to a desert, that sort of thing. Which I love the idea of. <laughs> but also, I thought it was really interesting that they point out that it would be impossible for the river to have dried up before the dragons come. Because they would have scented it. Yeah, they yeah. would have smelled it in the ground. And they only are going after this deep they smell it somewhere deep in the ground but can't find the location that makes sense to me because fitz does look for it too later on he like wants to find the river and he can't ever so it does make sense yeah so maybe it was he, he was a pillar away from it all along never knew it i wonder then though if it is the pillar in kelsingra that leads to that or if it's the one a little bit down the road from the quarry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like which pillar? I guess they both know. could yeah. take to the whatever location this is at. But I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Like mm-hmm. how did how did he find this place? That's all I want to know. Well, there's a lot I want to know. But <laughs> Then also asked, well, Anna's boyfriend asks... Why we're not named the Hobcast, which, which is a great name. Um, so sad we didn't think of that. We did have a big long list of podcast we, names. We do have a very long list. I think I still have those somewhere of yeah. different options. I don't know we if share I share those ever at some sued. point. Yeah, no, we spent a really long time trying to figure out a name, and we had some good ones. Um, but the usernames are already taken on different on sites. a couple of them or yeah. they're like they were could be confusing or you yes know. yeah no it so the hobcast the hobcast is great however being already gone through all the criteria that we were looking for for <laughs> names we're not discussing soldier son trilogy or anything like that so oh, the I, pigeon wizard well that's a uh, megan lindholm oh so fair, fair. different yeah different name there so i feel like hobcast would have been a little disingenuous unless after the 10 years when we finish up this series, we're like, well, we might as well do Soldier Sun. <laughs> Let's just spend a couple more years. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we will. But that's a far ways away now. Yeah, that would be a first time <laughs> readers, probably. Unless, you know, within the next 10 years, we read that. <laughs> well, that is yeah. a that's a great name but for, I, for yeah, a podcast. As super well. love Hobcast and very sad. I didn't think of it myself. So, yes. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of cool things that pictures were sent to us, Ellen sent us a picture of her cat as well. So Very thank you cat. again for that. And speaking of Ellen, she also commented on Facebook talking about our last episode, episode 86, and has a pretty good insight onto Fitz here, which I could never really verbalize, but this is a great way of putting it that Fitz has a really hard time to know when people have warm feelings towards him. And he only seems to notice that, that friendship, that warmth, after it's gone and he starts, he's confronted with that. 
She specifically says he doesn't notice any positive feelings for Starling until he feels a loss when she doesn't seem to care about him. He doesn't miss or long for Ketrikin until he feels the distance when their eyes meet without warmth. He's really bad at noticing and nurturing positive feelings of connection with other people, which I think is very true. Yeah. With a couple exceptions. And it's usually due to repeated exposure. (laughs) One is Molly, obviously, because they both feel affection for one another. However, it took a very, very long time for that to be realized and developed and expressed in any sort of way. (laughs) And to be fair, even if he is able to notice that warmth, he is constantly afraid of it disappearing. Yes. So And there, there were struggles with thinking that she and Jade were an item right. her going away to another village, right. him thinking that she died and be like, oh, my God, I miss Molly. And, you know, a bunch of things right. like that. But it's not as bad as the right. other people in his life. And then also like Beric and Jade just, and Verity, repeated exposure of like, I'm raising you. You have warm feelings for me kind of thing, well, you know. Does he know that Jade and Beric have warm feelings for him? Because I don't think this this specific comment is about recognizing his own feelings oh right 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 right. and realizing he cares about people until they're gone or like he's missing that connection Fair enough. so for that side of it the repeated exposure does help right. <laughs> it takes him a while he's like ellen uh, says here i think he is pretty bad at it yeah, well he I does still, get it eventually yeah i still think Burek is iffy on if he feels like there's love there just because i think he does because of the couple times that he's mentioned you know, specifically recently, when Chade was explaining what Beric promised not right. to tell Fitz, and like, That's oh, fair. if the child is born, I'm going to go tell Fitz that it happened because that wouldn't technically break my promise. And Fitz is like, "That's really bending it, wording for Beric," and I really appreciate that. That's fair. <laughs> so I feel like he kind of does know, but in typical Farseer man fashion kind of buries those and kind of just breezes past those. And the last thing that Ellen brings up here is when uh, we were talking about seizures and we thought that he hadn't had a seizure for a very long time. At least I did that. That might've been the first one for a long, long time. Ellen mentions that he might have had a seizure after the events at Moon's Eye and assembling his skill strength and scattering the coterie. Because he wakes up, he blacks back in with night eyes on his chest, with blood on him, and he's very weak. And Ellen was kind of assuming that he had a seizure there. Right. And I feel like it's very unclear. Because I was under the impression it was just like a nose, like a bad nosebleed, because he talks about his bloody nose or something, or getting snow to wash that off. Right. And he's just weak. But he could have had a seizure. We just don't know for sure. Yeah. It's definitely plausible. I mean, Fitz is pretty battered and beaten, so <laughs> seizures are not out of the question. Yeah, definitely. And the last comment on Facebook is from Irene. She's talking specifically about episode 84 and saying how how the reading or the writing of these chapters really draws you in and makes you feel forfeits because it's so visceral and you can relate so much to the mental and physical anguish and pain that he's going through. So when he discovers that they want to take his daughter for the throne and he tries his best, 
with considering his fever to protect her, only to finally realize that he's powerless because Chade, Starling, the Fool, everyone, acted while he was sick and unable to take action. And Irene states that she was very anxious for him during that because we're all human. Like, I can relate to this, too. You want to be in control of your life, but that doesn't always happen. So when it's taken from you or something goes awry, especially with a big decision like that, it's very rage inducing and you get this helpless feeling. Right. And Irene was just kind of remarking on that. It was very, very well written in how he is responding to things. And that it was very realistic. Yes. It's definitely one of those chapters where it just hurts to read. Yeah. It's, yeah, which is a mark of good writing. It, it truly is that we all feel so deeply. I assume if you're listening to a podcast about this book, um, you probably feel pretty deeply for the main character. <laughs> probably don't hate him. So I think that's just a mark of a good author. It's just something that we can all enjoy that... Even when though Fitz makes horrible decisions sometimes, we all recognize when things are unfair to him. <laughs> right, yeah. So thank you guys so much for reaching out. As always, it's a pleasure hearing from you all and seeing what you guys think. Uh, you gave us lots of good theories to think about. And I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with next week. Is Chase going to be your headcanon now? Or is it still shade or do you, is it always going to be forever shade? I don't know. My head, it's always going to be forever shade. Shade Fallstar. Maybe his. Oh, no, I was just going to say maybe his real name is Shine. Um, but that's his daughter's <laughs> that's his name. Daughter. So <laughs> maybe it's Shine Jr. We don't know. <laughs> anyway, I like Chase. Thank you guys for tuning in and for asking questions. We look forward to hearing from you next week. Bye.